Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend, co-host, and hopefully survivor of the multiverse, Adam. Hey, man. <laughs> I, I, I'm alive and well. And, good, uh, good. How, how about yourself? <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm surviving. I am a survivor. Um uh, I won't work harder. Well, I won't get into those lyrics because I don't know all of them, but (laughs) I'll leave that to Beyonce. So yeah, we are in the final episode of season one of Marvel's What If. It's been a great ride. I think for the most part, we have enjoyed this first season. As of now, a second season has been announced, but there have not been any episodes released. I guess we could probably say that we both agree that the second season is probably worth covering, that we'll probably come back to it once everything's released. But for me, I, I think that this was um, overall good. It was a really good anthology series. In fact, um, I was going to mention that as I was watching this last episode, it feels like a really great package of MCU character, not characters, obviously they have those, but this idea of everything that the MCU has brought us over the last decade plus has been packaged in a way that I think allows an audience to be accessible to it and appreciate what it's done. And what I mean by that is that we have nine individual episodes that ultimately culminate to a season finale where you need to watch all the other episodes to really get it in its entirety. But up to that point, you didn't need to see every episode that they all kind of stood on their own for the most part. And I think this was a really fantastic series. This is one of those things where as we're working through our show and trying to figure out what are we going to cover, these are the types of MCU shows that I would want to be more inclined to cover because they are separated enough from everything else that I don't have to feel like I'm missing something, but they also encompass that same kind of spirit of what the MCU has done. I guess that's what I was getting around to. I agree. And I thought it was really a really great finale and overall great series. And as you mentioned, it kind of follows the MCU formula where, especially in phase one, where you watch, let's say five movies and they culminate in an Avengers film. Really each phase has done this. But this follows in a similar fashion, which I was not expecting as we went through this in order. I really was expecting just standalone Twilight Zone-esque episodes in this anthology series with maybe a few little Easter eggs that tie them together, appearances here and there. I was not expecting what happened in this episode to, to essentially form a multiverse of Avengers, or as they call them, Guardians of the Multiverse. But I, as this episode was unfolding, I was imagining them being called Avengers of the Multiverse or something. That's kind of where my my imagination took it. Yeah, that makes sense for them to be called Guardians of the Multiverse, because that's what they did. They guarded. This episode, surprisingly, Adam, was very concise. Like, it didn't feel like it had a lot of fluff. It had a lot to do. But even when I was taking my notes for the episode, I typically break them down by scene so it's just easier to keep my thoughts together. This one, I really only broke it up into like five. There were only five actual places Mm. that the episode takes us. 
the Watcher in gathering the Avengers or the characters from these previous episodes from different universes does so in a way that's very economical, I think is, is the best word to describe it, because all of this stuff that takes place could have been a two-hour feature. When you have a TV show that really limits itself to 25 to 30 minutes, it can be a challenge. And I thought that the writers, the animators, everybody on this team really put together a tight episode that didn't waste any time. It got right to the point, And I didn't feel like I was missing anything. I think the one yeah. part, maybe, if there was any criticism, was during that opening section, The Watcher was gathering there was the universe with Gamora and Tony Stark in his like super suit and they're destroying the gauntlet. I thought at first that was like from our 616 because I didn't recognize any episodes from the previous eight that referenced that. But apparently it was another universe that we didn't know about. It was just alluded to in that scene. Did you pick up on that or did you have any other insight to that particular moment? It's a... A version of Gamora who, in that universe, killed Thanos, which is obviously why the Watcher wanted her, because if she could take out Thanos and, and destroy the Infinity Stones, then what a great member of the team she would be, right? And apparently, I did a little digging, and this episode, there was an episode where we saw what happened, and it was planned to be part of the first season, but it got delayed due to some COVID-19-related production issues. So... As a result, it never it never got made, but they decided to keep the character a part of the finale anyway. And I guess it may be picked up for season two is what I read is, is it may still happen because a lot of work went into obviously developing the story and the, and the universe that um, that takes place in advance of this episode. <laughs> so yeah, it's one of those things where maybe it would have been a 10 ish, a 10, I was going to say issue as if, as if this was a comic book, but it might've been a 10 episode season originally. And we only got nine due to the production uh, issues yeah. that took place. That makes sense. I think they're, yeah. I think they just didn't want to make it because there's no way that cartoon characters can get COVID. I mean, that has not been proven yet. So I'm <laughs> right. thinking they just didn't want to make the episode. That's just my theory yeah. though. And I'm going to stick to it. The other thing that I thought that was really interesting here is that Tony Stark just gets the shaft in this entire oh, series. Yeah. He dies three times, <laughs> I think. And then he doesn't get picked to play on the, on the team at the end. Here. Yeah. I love the watchers like not use Stark, <laughs> not use Stark. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking, You're out. I imagine he's going, he's probably going to die anyway because he's died in all these other universes. So right. why not? <laughs> I thought that was a great little dig at Tony from the watcher and just sort of a little hat tip to, yeah, we, we don't need you. You haven't been very important to this whole series. Well, and that's interesting because in the MCU, he of course is one of the most important characters up until he dies and spoiler alert, hopefully everyone's seen Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame at this point, but if you haven't, I'm sorry. But yeah, I mean, he clearly is one of the founding members of the Avengers. He's he's a key component to every Avengers film. Here, it's like they decided, let's go another direction with, with Tony. Let's make him not quite so important and give the spotlight to some other characters. And I and I guess right. that, that makes sense, right? If, if you're going to do a what-if scenario, it's sort of you, you, you look at what you did and you say, let's do the opposite. And I think that's yeah. clearly what they decided here. And it's very effective. I mean, obviously, throughout the series, we get more emphasis on other characters that normally have not been at the forefront. Right. 
more supporting. And uh, that all culminates in this episode. The Watcher gathers these individuals from various universes, aka episodes, to this bar to tell them, here's what's happening. And that's when we get that first allusion to uh, what you referred to as the Guardians of the Multiverse. And, uh, you know, just some really fun stuff happening here. Thor has the levity, of course. And uh, bringing that from from his episode, he says... Uh, um, excuse me, yeah. Is there a universe of Chinese food that has alternate dimension delivery? Tommy's getting rumbly. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, when, when, when you have that voice and you're saying things like, Tommy's getting rumbly and party pooper, it's just yeah. awesome. I have to say, and I do like this Thor, and I, I get it. He's, I think on Wikipedia, they refer to him as Party Thor, in quotes. So he's clearly a different version of Thor. But they really did, in this show, in this series, make him into, like, a mimbo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah. I, again, I'm not against this. I think it's just a version of him. It doesn't mean that every version of him is like this. But he's clearly a different version likes to party have a good time likes to eat likes to drink and and just uh he doesn't take anything too seriously but he's also not too bright i think as we see a little later when he says okay slow down a little bit there's a few people in the room that don't understand not me i i get it but for them maybe repeat it (laughs) but (laughs) i love that old bit (laughs) yeah i also think it's great with him when you talk about that uh, and this is a, a conversation that I'm not going to go too deep into, but I think it's it might be worth discussing at a later date. This idea of interpretive characters that yeah. you have, quote, my Ninja Turtles or you have my Batman. And that's fine. I think it's important to and fun to have your own version. But that's why I can appreciate the Superman 3s out there because you've got this hokey kind of lighter fare of Superman that yes, you know, it follows such a great, serious Superman with a different intent. And so I can see where the disconnect is. But even Batman, when you talk about the 1960s Batman, is a Batman, a version right. of Batman yep. that does exist in the comic books. And that's why I can appreciate the Batman Forevers and the Batman and Robins and the zaniness of the Schumacher Batverse that is so different from Tim Burton and so different from Christopher Nolan. And I think the same thing is is happening here with Thor. As someone who has not been a proponent of the Love and Thunders and the and the Ragnaroks and stuff like that. I've grown in the last little bit to appreciate that. And I think if, as I probably echoed this on a, the other episode, I think if I go into those movies with that kind of mentality of like, okay, this is a different interpretation, I think I'll like it a lot more. And the episode obviously did it for me. I'm, and I'm glad for the sake of what this episode was doing that Party Thor was part of this because you need yeah. that levity for an episode like this. I mean, it, it wasn't heavy like it wasn't Doctor Strange heavy, but it definitely had stakes. And, you know, this is a big deal. This feels very endgame like. And I think that uh, Party Thor was definitely necessary. Well, and I think the stakes almost couldn't get bigger. I mean, every universe in the multiverse was at risk. He obviously hadn't, uh, Ultron had not yet destroyed every universe, but he was making his way. And I guess he could never fully finish his job, could he? Because the concept is that there's an infinite number of universes. So Ultron would, his programming would have him do this to infinity and beyond. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. Sorry. It's, I am a father, so I do make dad jokes from time to time. I can't help They're it. They're more than welcome on this show. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> And so part of what this episode is about is the Watcher finding universes where Ultron hasn't yet completely 
obliterated them and finding these heroes that might be able to help. And it does look like the episode with Thor, that that was indeed, we, we weren't sure last time if the ending was just like a little bit of a tease for the finale, the two-parter, or if it was really part of a story where Ultron came in. And clearly in that universe, the invasion had just begun. Now right. we know. And so Thor was in the middle of of fighting Ultron's drones in Vegas when the Watcher kind of literally has to scoop him up with his giant hand as he's screaming <laughs> because he cannot... Like a little... uh, yeah, he's 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 so immersed in his battle that he doesn't even see or hear the Watcher speaking to him from above. But I think the motivation is what's hilarious here. It's because he can't go on his date with Jane. Like, he's right. like, I got duded up and I'm <laughs> having to take down all these dudes. And it's important to know for my own sanity that Thor's world or the Earth on that universe is not the origin of Ultron. That Ultron no, no. exists in a universe where earth only has one person on it and that's Romanoff. So right. I think, and I, I think I nicknamed it the, the Ultron verse because that's where he originated. So my interpretation I think is similar to yours where he's hopping to different universes and taking them over. I think this is, this might be pre well, no, it's not pre infinity stones because he's able to hop those multiverses, but it's interesting that he doesn't just destroy, destroy, destroy. So at that point, he's probably just toying with and wants to you know, drag it out, even though there are an infinite number of universes. You're right. I think this tie-in was connected because we're seeing sort of the future of what Ultron had done right. in, the, um, you know, in episode eight. And that the others, I believe, I think every other character that he recruits, that the Watcher recruits, is coming from a universe that has, it's a continuation of what we had seen in the previous episodes, but the Ultron drones have yet to invade those particular universes. So there, right. there may have been, there may have been better candidates, I guess, for the Watcher's team in certain universes that have already been destroyed. But these are the, I guess, the remaining candidates that he felt were uh, the best equipped yeah. I Coincidentally, know. they are the universes that we have seen in episodes. Yeah, it's just that's interesting, Watcher, that you're you yeah. go there. The Watcher chose to show us those episodes. <laughs> He's so in control. <laughs> the Watcher's name is Kevin Faye, is what it is. It's, it's his, is. That's his real name. <laughs> I think I see him behind you, by the way. He's watching you. Uh, well, you know, just don't let him touch me because that would just get <laughs> weird and I don't, I don't need any. You can watch us podcast, right. just don't interfere. You know, keep your oath, <laughs> sir. We don't need yeah. your interference. <laughs> well, we also get the introduction of the Infinity Crusher, which I think is a really cool concept. Gamora brings it from her universe. And then as the episode progresses, there's this like strategy that we're sort of hearing here and there. They go to this campsite on, I think it's just a random world of a random universe. Yeah, I think they pick someplace where there was no activity or no life. So that Ultron wouldn't be drawn to it, so they could basically form their plan and until they're ready, until they knew yeah. that all their chess pieces were where they wanted them on the board to set the trap. But, of course, Thor screws that up because he gets excited <laughs> and uses his hammer to basically create lightning, and then Ultron shows up. But I also like that Thor says, look, I told you guys this was going to happen, that I attract unwanted attention. He's proud of this. Yeah, he, he's proud of it. He comes through, and his call or his battle cry. Yeah, his, his battle cry. Yeah, his battle cry is. Viva 
Viva Las Vegas. And <laughs> yeah. Ultron's like, dude, that's not at all a good battle cry. I don't even know why you're doing that. And I love, right before he screams that, I love, and it's a good little callback to his episode, I love that he says, I know how to deal with this party pooper. Wait, thought the plan! <laughs> right. <laughs> Introduction of the party pooper. Exactly. And it's such an epic shot, too. I think it's even the thumbnail that Disney Plus uses for the episode in the app. It's just like Thor with his arm stretched, you know, pointing his hammer towards Ultron. It's just like the, the most epic pose that Thor's in. And of course, it does nothing. <laughs> it doesn't even uh, scratch Ultron, but it's it's a great yeah. moment. And this is a small battle. I mean, compared to what we see later, yeah. this is, um, again, a tight sequence. Uh, you have Doctor Strange putting the protection spell on all the other guardians, and they all like find it really fantastic. Uh, I think Agent Carter, she... Her reaction is, is like, what is going on? It's a protection spell. You're welcome. Wow. This is fantastic. Showtime. Watcher. And then um, he uses Thor's hammer. So Thor throws his hammer and he creates like this infinite number that just attack and attack and attack. And they form this uh, this ball, I think which I thought was kind of cool. And it brings him down. And this is what was really unexpected. Brings him down. And then Strange opens up a portal. Probably one of my favorite parts of this whole episode. We get the zombie verse coming in. Oh, and I no. think That's... I saw Captain America. I think, but oh, maybe really? not. I can't remember. Oh, I, didn't... I think I'd have to go back and look. But for a moment, I thought I saw Captain America among the thousands of zombies that are attacking Ultron. <laughs> That was not expected at all. Like I didn't think there was any way they could work the MCU zombie apocalypse into this episode. But yeah, of course, along with the zombies, the real threat is zombified Wanda. Right. As we, as we saw in Multiverse of Madness, she is incredibly powerful. And you're kind of like, oh, here we go. This is going to yeah. be epic. But again, doesn't last long. <laughs> you even, they even show her zombied face kind of in shock. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a short battle. <laughs> yeah. And Ultron is just like, let's just blow up the planet. I mean, that's kind of yeah. his his MO. That's it's like, quick, you know what? Yeah. I don't want to fight you. I'll just blow the planet up. Did it with Captain Marvel. And now he's doing it with, yeah. with Wanda Quick here. solution to a problem. I mean, he's got infinite universes and infinite worlds yeah. in those universes. So he's got a playground. And that's apparently what he's doing. Yeah. But then we go back to the Ultron verse and the planet Earth with only Black Widow living on it. Yeah, it's the universe from the previous episode where Black Widow and Hawkeye were attempting to bring Ultron down with a, an arrow with a virus in it that had Zola's program, I guess, his his whatever remains of him. Uh, yeah. And he was going to infiltrate. And of course, they failed in that episode. Yeah. So here we're back in that universe. I love that she's got her motorcycle still. I think that's great because yeah. it's it functions as a weapon just as much as it does a, a mode of transportation. And her entrance <laughs> is just epic in this along with the exchange between her and Captain Carter. We're here to stop Ultron. I can prove it. Your father is Ivan, your Dars Alexei, and you're the one woman I trust to have my six, including now. And there are three people you trust in the universe, and I count myself lucky enough to be one of them. It's really cool because you get this exchange that is sort of alluded to at the beginning of the episode where you have this relationship between Carter and Black Widow. I think that spoke to the fact that 
these two actresses didn't get a lot of screen time together that apparently they had good chemistry when they were on screen. So being able to give them more of this inside this series, I thought was a really smart idea. I would love to see a few episodes independent of what if, but a few episodes Mm -hmm. with them tag teaming because they seem like they have just fantastic team up characteristics where they would just, and the banter is great, obviously. I mean, that's, that goes without saying, but it seems like this would be a cool little, like not crew up, but kind of a road movie, that kind of thing where these two are like the Thelma and Louise of the MCU. I could, I could definitely see that and watch that one. Yeah. And they do a great job kind of double teaming Ultron with the shields. I thought that was fantastic. And just a great, yeah. I mean, clearly this wasn't going to end Ultron in any way, but it was just a great scene to watch. How, and I love how she says, Captain Carter says, Give him all you've got. Don't give him a chance to think. I thought that was great. Yeah. Just like one after the other, just like pounding on him. And it's, she just doesn't have a chance to react because they're so fast and they're moving in, in such tandem. They're working together so effectively. Yeah. Yeah, this whole sequence was just really, really well done. The action is not any less exciting in this episode than it has been in previous, but there's a lot going on. And when I hear a line like that, where you have her saying, just keep going, don't give him time to think. I mean, I think that's almost an allusion to talking to us as an audience. Don't give us time to think because the chaos of all that is necessary for this creature, this AI. Mm -hmm. And I think it gave where the last episode vaulted Ultron to a, wow, this is a real deal kind of guy, you know, slicing Thanos in half. It just creates this more mythical kind of creature that we're getting to see. He's getting a lot bigger. Literally, he gets a lot bigger, you know, where he actually grows like Ant-Man. And at some point, I believe it's uh, Strange that has to rein him back in with his octopus arms that he's inherited (laughs) because he's now the Sorcerer Supreme. But we also get within that whole sequence, the Infinity Crusher. And we think, okay, it's going to do its job. But of course, we're looking at the timestamp and it's like 15 minutes left in the episode. And I'm like, okay, something's going to go wrong. And I thought this was a cool mechanic that was used in the episode where you have the the rules of time travel, the rules of, of multiverse travel, that what you have in your universe will not work. And I thought that was really cool that they use that with this particular mechanism to just yeah. not only do that, but also to show how amazingly awesome and powerful Ultron actually is. And it also implies that, and this is also a question for you, that wouldn't there be a set of Infinity Stones in each and every universe that the Watcher pulls these heroes from or and others and so could he not have had each and every one of these heroes that he's brought together they could all have been imbued with their own set of infinity stones if the watcher so chose to have them do that anyway it's just yeah. a, it's just a thought you know this is the kind of episode that goes to your mind and these things start to go through your head because you're seeing oh well you can't it can only crush the infinity stones in her universe so well what about the infinity stones from one of the other universes would they not be a match for these you know and so or would could they be more powerful less powerful because they're different in every universe it's uh i think they may have explored this in the comics at one point the idea that there are infinity stones from other dimensions as well but i don't know how they would handle that in in this series I don't think, yeah, I think that's one of those questions that you're like, what if, and we're not going to answer that question. Yeah, we're, we're not going to ever know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, Ultron does go down, at least not by the uh, the Infinity Crusher. This was probably my favorite action sequence where you have Widow on the bike, 
Rosa is in the arrow. She fires the arrow and says, this one's for you, Clint. That slow-mo I thought was so cool to see the arrow just slowly penetrate Ultron's eye. And my eye started twitching when I saw that because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I got kind of some lawnmower man vibes during this uh, this whole thing where you have Rosa inside Ultron talking to Ultron. And you have these digital versions of these characters going back and forth. And I was like, is somebody going to explode like Hulk? <laughs> I mean, what's <laughs> happening here? And then even afterwards, when we get what uh, Thor refers to as the body face, face body. Stomach face, yeah. Stomach face, right? <laughs> and I think it was fun how they sort of visualized that internal battle between Zola and Ultron, you know, inside their quote unquote heads, right? You know, you're seeing them have a conversation, essentially. And I thought that was really, really clever. I was sort of waiting for, for Zola to find a way to take over Ultron, but then become the bad guy, you know, that like right. anybody that has that power, because Zola's not a good guy. He was trying to bring about world domination with Hydra when he was alive. So clearly he's, even though they're using him for their purpose, he could easily have turned around and become the next Ultron. But what we get instead is Killmonger, whom I guess it's not really out of character, because they established in his episode that he pretty much was willing to do everything and anything to have ultimate power in his universe. So I guess it's not surprising. And they kind of alluded to it earlier when he was looking at one of the uh, drone heads. You could just see the wheels were turning <laughs> early on. And I question that because I'm looking at these characters and I'm looking at the Watcher who knows everything. Right. And he is recruiting these folks. And I'm like, why did you? Why did you do this? And yeah. this was the most surprising part of the episode. This was the aha moment that I thought, clever girl. You know, when it came to this whole <laughs> concept of, yeah, okay, we're, we're going to make you think one thing and do something else in 30 minutes. And that's when Zola takes back the stones after Killmonger grabs them, or he tries to. Tries to. They're kind of locked in a stalemate, basically. Yeah, yeah. it's just back and forth stuff. And then you see that they get encompassed into, uh, I think, what the Watcher calls a pocket universe. And that pocket universe is now inside the one-man universe that where strange, the Watcher yeah, created. and yeah. Doctor Strange are. Through just a little bit of a monologue, we get Strange sort of explaining what happened. Like, you knew all this was going to happen. You knew Killmonger would betray us. And, and I think Watcher said, and I knew the sacrifice you would have to make. And he goes, what sacrifice? And he goes... You're going to have to watch these guys. You're going to have to guard yeah. them. And he goes, well, it's my universe. That's what I'm going to do. It's just a little, yeah, exactly. little levity there. But I thought, what a cool angle. What a great kind of pivot to this story that the Watcher, even though he could not interfere, he orchestrated these characters and believed in them enough to recognize what they were going to do, how they were going to react, and then how he could help navigate their actions in a way Without breaking his oath. That's the thing. So the question is, what if the Watcher broke his oath? Well, he didn't, did he? I mean, he didn't interfere. Is that the oath that you don't interfere or the oath that you don't make yourself present or visible right. or aware? If that's the case, then yes, he did break his oath. Right. I mean, just bringing all these people together from out of their sure. dimensions, I guess, would be sure. a form of interference. But he didn't, although he did battle Ultron in the previous episode, that's, I guess, could be construed as interference. But Ultron invaded his space or his time or his plane or whatever you want to call it. So he didn't intentionally interfere. He was just sort of defending himself at that point. 
but he could have joined the fight. He could have entered the battle with the Guardians of the Multiverse, but he did not. He just, in this case, we don't see him at all during the battle. The Watcher's out of the picture. He's right. watching. He's observing, but he doesn't get involved. So yeah, I think he tried his best to, as you said, kind of be a conductor, but not actually play any of the instruments and still get what he wanted, still get what he knew needed to happen, still created an outcome that he knew would happen if yeah. he put all these pieces on the board. Yeah, it was a great way to sort of end the battle in a way where they're essentially locked in an eternal struggle, stalemate in this pocket dimension. There's always a chance it could crack or that they could escape. Something could happen. So we have the most powerful Doctor Strange in the multiverse watching them, making sure that if that ever happens, that uh, I'm assuming this Doctor Strange can alert the Watcher <laughs> if that happens. But the Watcher's always watching, so he should know too. So does he really need Doctor Strange there? I don't know. That's a question that we'll leave in the what-if catalog yeah. of, of questions <laughs> that go unanswered. The other thing I thought that was really interesting, you brought this up, is that it would seem that if the Watcher is looking at all these different universes and observing them, and a strange alludes to that he could see what was going to happen. My theory, and this is probably going to get debunked because stuff is said in the episode, but my theory at the end of all this is that when he pulls these characters out of their universes, he takes away predictability. He takes mm -hmm. away his own ability to see the future. When Strange says, you knew this would happen, I'd like to believe that he believed it would happen, that he believed in these characters enough that this is what they would do based off of their actions in their own universes by bringing them out and making them independent of the universes that they were in. It didn't take away their character. It didn't take away their personalities and their predictability. Right. I'd like to believe that the Watcher was exercising an attitude of faith of like, this is what I believe they're going to do. And they did it. So as a result, the eternal battle is taking place between you know, Ultramonger and Stomach Face. I guess that's their new names. And then... <laughs> The episode really kind of wraps up with everyone, save one, going back to their own places. Right. And they go back to their, to like the exact instant, really, that they left without any memory of what took place. So he also kept to his oath in that sense, right? He didn't interfere with those universes. They didn't come back with this new knowledge that there's a multiverse or anything. So he erased their memories and put them right back where they were. So everything would play out exactly as it should in those universes, except, as you said, with Black Widow, whose universe essentially was destroyed, and she's the sole—we're assuming she's the sole survivor of that world, of that universe, but it's possible that there could be some people living underground somewhere. Maybe, but not Maybe. likely. Yeah. <laughs> and her attitude <laughs> kind of reflects that. She says yeah. one of the most poignant lines to him, My world is gone. You won, but I lost. I cannot interfere. interfere. Yeah, I know. We're just stories to you. We're not real. You watch us fight, win, lose. Tell me, did, did you make popcorn while Ultron murdered my friends and burned my world to the ground? And the fact is, the Watcher was never going to make her go back to her own world. And so he, he extends this olive branch that I think is pretty fantastic, is he takes her to the universe where the world lost its mightiest heroes. Right. Save Captain America and Captain Marvel, the two captains. And that's where she that's where she ends up. I, I think that this is very, very cool because 
as I was looking at all the characters and where they were pulled from, that was the only episode that was not referenced as we're going through this episode. And it was finally... Yeah, they found a way to work it. They found a way. Work it in at the end, yeah. That made sense. And, and, And it does. And I am wondering, though, because she seems to recall, because she's coming into a new universe, so she seems to know or remember the events that she just was a part of so i'm wondering if she's the only one of this crew of this of these guardians of the multiverse that actually retains her knowledge of the watcher and ultron well i think the episode alludes to the fact that they retain their knowledge but nobody else will know that they were gone that's the thing is i think Mm. they all end up at the same place where they started but they have that knowledge that they obviously can't tell people about that's kind of what I picked up on. I, I could have misinterpreted that, but that's, I think that's what I believe the watcher was telling them is that I'm sending you back to the instant you left, but it's going to be as if you were never gone. Mm. Yeah. I, I, maybe I misinterpreted it myself. I, I sort of took it as though they wouldn't remember and like they wouldn't miss a beat, you know, it would just be like they never, right. but you might be right because when Captain Carter wakes up in the middle of her fight, she kind of shakes it off and she gets hit and she says something to Black Widow like, yeah, I've taken a few hits to the head as if she's yeah remembering the battle that she just came back from. So right. it, you may be right. I may have misinterpreted what the Watcher said. But regardless, I think it was a nice, uh, a nice ending to see, as you said, to see Black Widow in a new universe where Nick Fury's alive and... Yeah, she can sort of fit in again. And I think it's great because she actually saves Nick Fury from Loki yep. and I think kills him with his staff, I believe. <laughs> the eyes go black, so I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So, and now <laughs> is Black Widow the uh, bearer of Loki's staff? Because it looks like she's in possession of it now. I don't know if she's going <laughs> to let go of that. <laughs> Oh, man. Killmonger 2.0 right here. I know, right? Where does this go now? (laughs) Yeah. Well, as is fitting with any MCU story, this particular episode gave us yet another classic MCU moment, which is a mid credit scene. And my confession, Adam... Yeah. Because I was not used to it with the other episodes. I, I turned the thing off when the credits rolled. And then I had to read that, oh, there's a mid-credits scene. Uh, so when yeah. I, I watched it again for the podcast, I was like, let's see what this is. And I loved it. I yeah. thought it was fantastic. We get the Hydra Stomper has been discovered. And apparently there's someone inside. We've talked before about how a lot of these episodes kind of leave us with a potential sequel or a follow-up. This is probably the first one that I honestly said, yes, I want to see this. And I think it's because we both really adored that first episode and Mm -hmm. we love the relationship between her and Steve. So if this is part of the second season, then count me in. I'd love to see a continuation of this. Yeah, I agree. And I think there were several things that happened in this episode that kind of allude to this moment at the very end, the stinger. Early on, Captain Carter is talking with Strange Supreme, I think they call him. I'm not sure what they refer to this version, but he says, oh, in my universe, there is no Captain Carter. There's Captain America. Steve Rogers was injected with the super soldier serum. And she says, I think she says, oh, that's something I would be keen to see or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which I thought was great. So she's still thinking about Steve, still wondering. Mm -hmm. And then a little later, right before when he's about, when the Watcher's about to send everybody back to their universes, the Watcher says something like, You'd rather return to another time. Haven't I earned my happy ending? Trust me, that world 
that time needs Captain Carter. And I think this is kind of a, a hint that maybe she'll get her happy ending after all with yeah. this re- reunion with Steve. How did Steve get there? I have no idea. Is he the young Steve and old Steve? I mean, these are all questions that only a new episode could answer. But I think the implication is that somehow he was brought forward in time, you know, or in suspended animation or something so that they could be reunited in the present time. And I, right. yeah, I think it's a great little way to wrap it all up. And again, wrap up final episode with a reference to the very first episode of this series I thought was great as well. It's funny you say Finish. that you didn't, that you skipped it <laughs> because I'm at that point where I, when I watch movies, almost any movie, if I'm at home at least, where I will scrub through the credits just to be sure there's nothing mid-credit or post-credit. And I'm almost disappointed if there's nothing. Like, even as a kid, when you would watch certain movies like Airplane if, or Ferris Bueller's Day Off, there would be like a little joke at the end or something, a little comedy bit. And I used to love that. So I, I'm a big fan of sort of packing anything you can into the credits just to make them, A, for someone who's worked on films, I want people to watch the credits. <laughs> I want people yeah. to stick around and sure. see all the hardworking individuals that contributed to making the movie. But credits are like 10 minutes long now for an average feature film. So that's a lot to sit through. So yeah, you got to sprinkle some fun stuff in there for people to to sit through. And uh, I I don't think there's been an MCU project. I don't think whether it's film or television yet that hasn't employed some type of usage of a stinger on at least one episode or one movie. I think it's it's pretty standard stuff at this point. Well, and that carries over into like everything else. My dad yeah. and I, when we went to go see Elvis, mm. the credits started rolling and I had to tell him there's no in credit scene. There's no, yeah. there's nothing <laughs> like he's not coming back from. Was anything. he hoping it's, there would be or? Did well, he just... I don't think he was hoping, but he stayed there in the theater just watching the credits. And I was like, do I get up and just start walking away? <laughs> right. Because. I don't know, but are we conditioned now? Has Marvel yeah. conditioned us that I, even a non a non franchise movie? Like I think we all expect it from various franchises, whether they be Marvel, DC, Fast and Furious. Like you expect there's going to be some little stinger, something to kind of prep you for something else to come. But you know, a movie about Elvis, probably not, right? No. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, maybe. We're a little too uh, conditioned. There was a conspiracy that he was still alive. I think, I don't know if it's still floating around, so maybe that would have been. But yeah, I doubt Baz Luhrmann is going to throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think oh. he's still alive. <laughs> well, you, you, you do you, Adam. I'll stick, yeah. with, I'll stick with the regular story. <laughs> hey, I, never saw, I never saw a body, so... If that's your criteria, a lot of people are alive, okay? That's right. They're all alive. No, I I honestly don't know. I I think there's some funny conspiracy theories about Elvis. And, uh, I mean, there was one – did you ever see this? But there's one theory that he was in Home Alone, like the actual – Elvis Presley is in. It can be seen in one of the in no. an airport scene in the background. Yeah, look it up. You'll find it fascinating. <laughs> okay, okay. <Yeah. laughs> that's for another podcast that is not yeah. related at all to this one. I'm so. not saying I believe this. I'm just saying that it's it's a humorous and legit theory that people have 
spent a lot of time analyzing and discussing. Oh my so goodness. That's the world that's we live great. in. <laughs> that is the world we live in, uh, for better or for yeah. worse. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, that is going to, with that, we'll wrap up this episode because I don't think we have time to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, no. Nor is it connected to our show at all. Not today. Maybe a bonus episode sometime in the future unrelated <laughs> to this. If we ever cover Home Alone, I'm sure you already have at some point on your po- on Feel and Film. But if you haven't, we can go deep into all the, the, uh, the Easter eggs and weird things that people have seen in that film. <laughs> okay. discovered <laughs> we are we're so deep into our catalog now um i will have to actually go back and look to see if we covered if it actually I don't covered think we it did. Or not. <laughs> yeah i don't think i don't know if we covered it so if uh if we haven't then we'll definitely bring you on during our next holiday season and we'll just <laughs> okay. talk about that and all the conspiracy theories and we'll build the lego house the lego home alone build- house <laughs> and we'll as do a podcast is. about yeah, right. us building it so many different ways to go with this. We are way <laughs> off course now. All my fault. Apologies. That's all right. <laughs> no more than, than I've brought us off course. But to get us back on here, we'll finish up with our standard outro, which is to say thank you guys for listening. <laughs> yes. And that will wrap up this first season of What If. Uh, we've really enjoyed talking about it, as I mentioned before. I think we're both excited about the second season when it rolls around. Uh, we'll get a chance to get into it at a later date. But that'll put a cap on this particular series. Uh, be sure to check out our next conversation, Celebrating Long-Form Storytelling. I'm Patch, he's Adam, and we are out of here. <laughs> <laughs>